Today we're talking about street photography and everything that goes along with that, here on That Vintage Lens. It's always been my belief that you can't build a successful future without knowledge of the past. At That Vintage Lens, we're doing just that, refining our craft and building our skills in this visual art by learning from photographers and with equipment past. So join us on our little adventures as we chat about film photography in the modern age. You might learn something. I know we will. All right, welcome back to That Vintage Lens. We're on the road again. This is the second podcast in a row where we're on the road, but part of that is just because it's our job. So we're out and about um, trying to stay safe in this COVID atmosphere. Um, We took the masks off for the podcast, but we're all about six feet apart. So it's all good. It's all good. So I'm here. Um, I'm Brandon Stanley, and I'm here um, actually in New Haven, Connecticut, with Daniel Gebert and John Henry Keenan. Unfortunately, Andy Adamas is not with us today. We miss you, Andy. Um, he's kind of he's still quarantining in his home, um, but uh, he should be back for the next one. So today we're talking about street photography. I know we're excited about this one. We were doing it earlier today, so we'll talk about that. But first, let's jump into the recap of. Uh, you know, what's been going on lately. So, Daniel, you want to start us out? What's new? Um, I am, I don't want to say putting a bit of a pause on some of my film photography because I'm not, Hmm. Uh, but in some ways I am. So I feel like the kind of person that I am, especially when it comes to photography, is like I make my mind up about something like really hard. I'm like, okay, I'm not shooting portrait anymore or I'm only shooting black and white. And then like six weeks later, someone's like, what are you shooting? I'm like, oh, I'm shooting portrait. Like, but I thought, I'm like, no, 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 that's done. That's, that's done. done. Yeah. Like, well, I make my mind so hard on something and then totally do a 180 on it. And like, you just saw Cody's shots today. Oh, my gosh. Fantastic. Yeah. So, we had, yeah, Cody was on the last one and he just posted or he shared with me some photos he took with his Yashica mat with Portrait 800. My gosh, they're so pretty. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, I might go buy like half a dozen rolls. I don't know. Well, yeah. So, so I, I've got some if you need some for okay. a medium form. <laughs> So the the current thought in my mind is I've been shooting a lot of 120 over the last year, two years since I bought the Mamiya, and I'm I'm gonna start kind of slowing down on that. Not because I don't love shooting with it; it's the favorite, it's the favoritest camera I've ever owned, ever shot with, pretty much ever on the film side of things. But I'm trying to uh, be a little bit more intentional with it because I'm starting two bodies of work that I want to publish it in some form or another that are going to be black and white in studio very controlled and they're going to be with friends and family and 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 so i want to i want to kind of almost keep it special for that Mm -hmm. like i have my portrait set up with my backdrops and i i have my subject matter i kind of want to keep that you know in its its own kind of little box so i'm doing more black and white with 35 and i'm you know finding that that's a little bit more of my speed right now and then shooting a lot with the fuji of course nice and what beer are you drinking tonight? Because I'm not all... drinking beer. Okay, I'm drinking this stuff that I saw that uh, may may be recognizable to some people called Hard Water. It's like uh, just it's just worse uh, White Claw, really. Nice. Okay. It's uh, cheaper. I, I like it. It's not cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> I like it because it's super super low carb, um, no sugar. You know, it's 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 like a seltzer, but. It's a little bit, a little bit of alcohol in it. Nice, yeah. So. For context, we uh, we've kind of made it a tradition now that, especially <laughs> if we're on the road, we'll kind of stop, grab something. Yeah, not anything big because we don't want to be carrying around a ton of 
liquor or beer or something. Yeah. But, um, and also, so we're staying at this, the Carriage House Hotel. Yeah. In um, New Haven. In, in, or no, I'm sorry. Not in New Haven. Outside of New it's Haven. It's just outside New Haven. Um, and it kind of looks like a motel from the outside, but it's super nice it's inside. It's so nice. I, I mean, chatted, with, I chatted cool, with the man. owner before we hopped in today, and I just, I just gave him a little bit of gratitude. I was like... This is such a pleasant experience so far. Yeah. And they're like, oh, please write us a review about that. So I'm going to nice. do that. Cool. So John, is, yeah. yeah. John Henry updates. Yeah. I also, during the COVID-19, haven't been shooting as much film as I had before. But I had a really cool experience a few weeks ago. I had my brother come and stay with me for a month. Uh, and we like wow. each other a whole lot, but we don't get to see each other <laughs> that often. So actually having a, a month to spend together was really nice. And on the one of the first weekends he was here, I was like, hey, you might not want to because it's sort of my hobby and maybe you're not into it. But like, mm. do you want to go shoot film photos with me around... And so we did that. He shot a roll on my Canonet, and I shot a roll on my Nikon F3. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went Both up terrible to terrible cameras. <laughs> it's, you're crazy if you own either of those it's cameras. It's funny because I bought a F3 because Brandon had one. He bought a Canonet because I had one. Yeah, so there you go. We, we have that, that little matching kit there. <laughs> so my brother Paul and I went up to the Baha'i Temple, and uh, which is, I think, one of seven in the world. And there's one just north of Chicago in Evanston. Really nice spot for pictures. Mm-hmm. I think I'd seen one of our acquaintances post some pictures from there. So uh, we went up. It was a beautiful, sunny day. I was shooting Ektar 100. Wow. which was actually a new stock for me. I hadn't mm. shot it before, and he mm. was shooting Portrait 400. I was like, you're going to shoot a first roll of film. I didn't want to tell you before, Daniel, but, but now, that I know you're back on, now that I know you're back on the Portra. It sounds about back on the Portra. I was off back, it for two the, weeks, and the then portrait, I got back on. The Portra train. Uh, I just, it was my first roll of film that I'd shot. And so I don't know, passing down the tradition yeah. and it's just, it's pretty, man. I yeah, don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. It's a pretty stock. No. So uh, let me, let me clarify about the portrait thing. So I don't, there's a couple of reasons I'm not liking it. So for 35, I, sh- I, and for 120, I scan on a flatbed and for whatever reason, 35 mil, I cannot get good scans. It's a combination of my film kind of curls in the middle, and so I get Newton rings on the actual film bed. And when I shoot HP5 and I, I dry it out and everything, it scans so flat. Like, it just lays perfectly, and I can scan it. Well, so I will it, tell you, we had a, there's a couple of his shots that were nice that I do sort of want to rescan mm. because uh, we were getting some light leaks, which didn't show up on the negative. So I think they were because the film was curved sure, coming yeah. in through the scanner. Yeah. Um, so we eventually someday I'll scan yeah. those ones. But we had a great time doing that. It was just a lot of fun. Then after the Baha'i Temple, we went downtown. It was just this gorgeous evening. Went through the whole development process mm-hmm. with him. So that was just a heck of a lot of fun and some good like bro bonding time. Nice. It's good to share that kind of thing because it is it's a specific hobby, but it's good to it share. It was, and uh, I mean, he definitely appreciated the whole like anticipation and build up. Yeah. Of, like, did I get that shot? Yeah. So, uh, and he sweet. actually he's got a good eye. He's got a good eye. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Runs in the nice. blood. Well, you know what I always say there there are are a few things that are consistent and, and guaranteed in life. There's there's death. There's taxes and there's Brandon getting a new camera. Oh my gosh! <laughs> what is? I don't even know. What did you buy? You know about it because you've seen it. 
it, we just haven't had a podcast since then. So uh, I got the camera that I've been talking about for a little bit. Oh, that's right. Yes. I got the Nikonos V or five. It however is, you, yeah. it is so beautiful. So solid. Um, yeah, no, I've been, I've, I haven't developed film in a little bit. Um, just because I, I've been, you know, you know, with COVID-19 and all that, money's been a little bit tighter, just trying to have mm-hmm. a little bit more in reserve. And so sending it off for developing hasn't mm-hmm. been really the thing that I've done lately. So I've got, kind of got a backlog uh, piling yeah. up. So I imagine fairly soon I'm going to send some off and, and get a get like 12 or 13 rolls developed. We'll mm-hmm. see. Uh, but uh, so I haven't been shooting quite as much, partly because of that backlog. It's been a lot of family stuff. We haven't really been traveling that much. Um, you, Cody, and I shot at that abandoned um, hotel and yep. on the way to the East Coast. And I ruined one of those rolls. I know, I know, but well, I'll get mine one of these days. Yeah, and we can check it out. I, I didn't, I didn't tell you. Only two of the shots on that roll, only were, two, were were of the hotel. The other roll I did not develop yet. Okay, I didn't ruin. Gotcha. I ruined my first roll. And it was the chemicals, you think? Is yeah, the chemicals got like so. I moved. Mm-hmm. and they were sitting in my car for maybe six hours in the sun and i th- they just got baked gotcha i had, co- had them covered in a towel and that. anyway hmm. long story short i ruined a roll of film for the first time it was this roll of 120 and I'm not happy about it but yeah i'm sorry yeah i salvaged maybe half a dozen shots i had to convert them to black and white and just crank the contrast because the negatives were so faint but mm-hmm yeah the rest of the other role of like the actual you know photos of that hotel are, are on a role that i have not developed and i won't until i have fresh chemicals so. gotcha gotcha but yeah so for me um you know i just haven't been shooting as much lately but it's been a lot more family stuff and when we were going to the beach i wanted to make sure that i got some good photos there which my son was not a fan of the beach last year absolutely loved it this year yeah could not have been more of a 180 he was like <laughs> he he was i have never seen him more happy in the two years that he's been alive <laughs> it's just it's nuts like he was shivering so much because the water was freezing and it was like i don't know it wasn't even 70 degrees that day um but he was having so much fun he was he was like i basically toward the end had to hold him on my shoulder wrapped in a towel to keep him warm <laughs> and just ran into the water so that he could have the fun like live vicariously through yeah your fun. exactly so um and so i wanted a camera that could go with me on those times and and uh i've been talking about the nikonos v for a while and um yeah waterproof sandproof all that good stuff and man someone's racing outside (laughs) and uh yeah it does all of that i mean i I was very confident just in the ability to not ruin my camera even though i was running out into the water and yeah when you handed me that camera i was shocked at the build quality and Mm -hmm. i i I mean obviously the f3 and pretty much everything nikon made from that era built of a pro level yeah of a pro level built really really well Mm -hmm. you know nothing even remotely close to like a leica sure sure but built really well you handed me the nikonos and it was it's like a different almost like a level of yeah. like it's just so solid and so heavy and everything was i don't know there's just something almost intangible about it but the feel of that camera is like a different level yeah absolutely 
So, well, should we get to our main topic? Yeah, let's do it. We should, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, we're talking about the uh, what are what are we talking about today? Street photography. Street photography. There's a lot talk- to unpack there. It is a lot. I almost feel like we're not going to get every. No, I know we're not going to get <laughs> it's everything. A, it's a long we're going to go cover down. everything about street photography. Everything. That'll this podcast. You yeah. will know it all. Exactly. <laughs> no, we need some sort of clickbaity title about like street photography. You won't believe what they uncovered. Street, <laughs> street photography. I barely know her. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good. That's a pretty good title right yeah. there. Oh yeah. So one of the reasons that I thought we could do this one today, aside from the fact that we were out shooting street photography, I don't know, an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy doesn't tend to do it quite as much. He's mm-hmm. more on the landscape side. So I figured if there's going to be an episode that we can't have Andy here for, we might as well um, do street photography. And so he can listen. A- Along from home and, and maybe pick up a few tips, maybe yeah. try it himself. There, there we go. There we go. <laughs> so I think first it would be, it would behoove us to define street photography or oh like, like what, well, not like a, a comprehensive definition, but clarified for people. Are we sure. talking about taking pictures of streets? Yes. Or, okay. Okay. There we go. That's it. We can wrap there. Nice. Okay. So next week on that, fin- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, I, I think what we're talking about is taking pictures that tend to be incredibly candid of this kind of undoctored, unadulterated look at what our world, like a glimpse of our world as it is. Capturing a moment. In my mind, it always involves people. Even even if sort of the subject is a building, it it involves people. Street photography, like there would be people in front of it. Like yesterday we were driving and you took that picture of the tire shop, right? But there was also the guy smoking in the doorway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it it was just kind of this little candid moment of like, oh man, that is just such a photograph. You know, little moments like that on the street. And a lot of times you see it the classic kind of view of street photography is black and white, usually high grain. Um and usually there's a lot of motion, typically fa- fairly wide angle in New York or mm-hmm. in, you know, in F- Philadelphia or something like along those lines. But it can take a lot of different forms other than that. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be very geometric. Um, it, you know, it could be a lot of other different things. Yeah. All, all that really jumps into my mind is what Fred Armisen's comedy special <laughs> yeah. where he's like, what, what, talking about photography yeah. and, and what, what does he say about it? It's like, like, I'm not impressed by photography anymore. Yeah. It does, it's just, it's just poor people proud of something. <laughs> it's like, I mean, like it, in some ways he's right. Yeah. But then in others it's, I mean, the nice thing about street photography in a lot of ways is sure, some of the, the strongest photographs that you see portrayed in, in street photography are, um, you know, perhaps people people who have some grit to them, mm-hmm. uh, whether those are blue collar workers, whether those are people who are, are unfortunately homeless or something along those lines. But sure. that's not or refugees. And, yeah. And so I feel like people can people look at that and they're like, oh, well, that's street photography. Right. And sure. It's a subset of street photography, but it's also not what street photography is, is it doesn't encapsulate everything mm-hmm. about street photography it's there's not a like, lot of oh. street photography in history that is from wartime mm-hmm. you know and you have people throwing their caps in the air after a victory yeah and that tells a story on its own one simple photograph and that's like wow i know what's going on yeah. there yeah i would say it's basically like relatively unstaged moments yeah that in are public. in public that are that are like not in a studio atmosphere that mm-hmm. are naturally happening and you're capturing that yeah. a little bit like uh, a documentary film of yeah. some sort because just like a documentary there are there is some there are ways that you can shape it well sure, sure. you're choosing what frame to photograph yeah absolutely yeah and i think it's it's sort of it captures either an event or the essence of a person mm-hmm. so it 
it's not so much the landscape or the architecture or something. It's either very much, this is what this moment was, or this is who this person was. That's a great way of saying it. Yep. A great way of saying it. Yeah. So, so we, we've covered what, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Why would someone choose to do this as opposed to shooting yeah portraiture in the studio or landscapes or something what what is because i think some people will look at street photography and they're like it's they it feels um too unstaged it's like for some i've seen some street photography where i'm like it it just kind of feels like you just pulled up a camera and and like shot at random yeah shot at random or like there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to it part of the uh art and the thrill of it there's almost a thrill of the chase aspect because you want to get it that candid moment that captures uh, you know the moment of the person but you also want it to be a good photograph in terms of composition and lighting and the rest of it so working with that sort of moving pieces scenario where Maybe the person doesn't even realize you're taking a picture. Maybe they do, but you're still in public with motorcycles going by like that one (laughs) outside or whatever else. So how do you simultaneously capture something authentic, but then present it in a very artful way? Right. Because, yeah, just pulling up your camera on the street and taking a picture of whatever's going on in a wide lens, you'll like see what was happening on the street at that one moment, but it's not going to be a good picture. You You can take a a thousand photographs and one might be good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's also might be kind of scary for people too going out in a uh, you know in the middle of a street having pulling a camera up in front of their face and mm-hmm. taking pictures of people. Yeah, whether well, or not they ask them or not, like yeah. it's kind of scary. Well, I, I'm from the Midwest and also an introvert, and so I feel like both of those things. There are always jokes about the Midwest and like people from the Midwest where it's it's like. <laughs> Like you're you're inconveniencing someone. It's like, oh well, you know, if you if you're able to, like, potentially, possibly, uh, <laughs> you uh, might consider you know, look, looking yeah, this way. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I feel like that's definitely along the lines of where I'm most comfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't want to walk up to someone and just take a photo because, in my mind, it's what you you see on the news or other places where someone then freaks out and yeah. then punches you or because smashes your camera or smashes your camera uh, something you like that. then you're from the midwest some of us are actually from here <laughs> were you um, born here or? i was born here okay. i don't know if i've been back here since that's actually. why we're here we're here to revisit the birthplace <laughs> Of John Henry Keenan. So, uh, and here on the East Coast, where I was born, uh, people are, are definitely a lot more in your face. So I'm a bit of a hy- hybrid, because I've spent a good half my life or more in the Midwest. Uh, but there's still some of that East Coast, ah, I'm taking a picture here, <laughs> type, type of thing. Yeah. I've heard you say that multiple times. <laughs> yeah, and it, so it's very interesting, because... I feel like the easiest way to do street photography, not the best way, but the easiest way is to have like a 200 millimeter lens and mm. sit back and like not get in anyone's face. But I feel like that's also not quite what street photography is because, no, that you seems know, more like stalking. Well, yeah, <laughs> it, it does. You could be suspected as being a creeper if you do that. But anyway. yeah, yeah. But and part of it for me is that if you, you're doing something like that, you're not in that moment you're, you're looking at that moment it's like you, what you were saying earlier it's either capturing what, what what were you saying capturing a moment or like getting the essence of that person yeah and i feel like you can't really do either of those well 
maybe in some circumstances, but yeah. typically you can't do either of those well at a distance. You need to either no, be experiencing unless it. Unless you're photographing a high Soviet official in the Russian government. <laughs> yes, and, <laughs> in that really... case, don't get close. But it is, I think it is the first, the first instinct of someone getting into street photography or trying to get out for the first time is to maybe shoot with, say, a 50 or an 85 because you don't have to get so intimate with someone in order to take that picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also, you know, tidy up your frame a little bit if it's happening in a fairly controlled way. But a while back when we were chatting with Dan Tamarkin, he talked about throwing on that 15 mil on his Leica mm-hmm. and walking around and like because getting his own toes to in the frame. Yeah, like yeah. you have to get inches away from people to get that photograph. And mm-hmm. he talked about just loving that process yeah. as much as it kind of challenged him. It, it pu- pushes you out of it, your comfort absolutely. zone. Absolutely. Yeah. It definitely does. I will say 85 is probably one of my preferred lenses for mm. street photography. And it is because you don't necessarily have to give yourself away as taking a picture. I think it's actually a happy medium because it's sort of long, but you're not going to be that far away from someone. Yeah, that's true. I mean, 85, I wouldn't consider a telephoto lens. No, it's not. Most, I mean, it's on it's the cusp. I mean, it, it, depends, on... it depends like on your approach, and I definitely would still advocate like the ballsy 35 yeah. or 15 millimeter approach. 15 is pushing. Or you've yeah. got to get right next to <laughs> but, someone. Yeah. But it's interesting you bring that up because your street photography tends to go in that direction of like really tidy frames. Like when, when you went to China, some of your images were so like they looked almost staged like they were just these little moments like vignettes of like this server like putting a plate on someone's you know in front of someone's like place at a restaurant and it's like mm-hmm. yeah oh, that is such was, a moment uh, there was a father bending over his daughter i don't know if i put that one up but a father on a moped bending over his yeah. daughter who was in front of him to like see how, how she was doing yeah and i do sort of like how the 85 you're still definitely present in the scene because like to, to get somebody fully in the frame, you can't probably be more than about 25 feet away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are a bit removed. And often what I'll do is if I see something playing out, I'll just stand there with my camera up on that subject waiting for the right moment right. to snap it. And uh, you're definitely exposed still at that point because right, everybody yeah. around sees that you're pointing a camera right. there and all the rest of it they might see it you're not maybe hiding away behind some corner in a bush with a 400 mil yeah yeah no yeah. no well i until i got my portable bush I, <laughs> <laughs> street I <can> photography just, <laughs> or, have you considered portable bushes just a ghillie suit in the, <laughs> just that in the middle of think, didn't kai wong do a video where he dressed in a ghillie suit with like a 400 mil i think he, he i think might. that bit's already been done <laughs> probably i can well, see though, none like, of us have done much nature photography but yeah. Yeah. we'll have to try that <laughs> no but in the middle of chicago doing something <laughs> like that it's just like people walking by there's just a random bush sitting over there uh, <laughs> yeah but so, so what are the typical focal lengths that are associated with street photography? If not, maybe if 85 on the wide, on the longest end, um, I would 15 think, is like the widest you could probably go with yeah, that. Yeah, I would venture to say that 35 might be one of the more, more popular ones. I would 35, say 50. 35, 50, 24. Yeah, I would. 28 I, is some people's like sweet spot. Yeah. I typically like the 35. Mm-hmm. Like, I can really tidy up my frames with the 35. And if necessary, I can crop in just a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and get that little little extra you know clean out some of the extra stuff mm-hmm. on the corners um but i 35 for me is is pretty much where where it is sometimes i want a little wider though you know yeah, 28 you know, that. does that no i think what's nice for me about 35 in particular is that and i've said it before too because i shoot with 35 so much i know the frame 
before I even exactly. bring it up. And so I don't have to have the camera up. I don't yeah. have to keep checking my frame and going, oh, is that? Oh, no, I got to back up some more. Yeah. No, I just, I know as I'm walking, that's what I'm getting in the shot. And so it's. And I think that's almost more important than what focal length you're using is how familiar you are with that. Because mm -hmm. if your eyes already, like, you know, used to framing that up before you bring the camera into your eye, yeah. you actually, you already know your, your frame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is another thing that actually, uh, not as much in Beijing. People in China really don't care if you're taking a picture of them. There's a lot of people, they're all crammed together and they have very different ideas about personal space. <laughs> so sometimes like somebody would see me taking a picture and I just sort of wave and they'd smile. Yeah. <laughs> that was that. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes they would take a picture of me back. Um, but talking about focal length, I think going back to that either moment or person distinction, to my mind, at least there's sort of like the wider, the wider it is, the more likely you're capturing a moment. Mm -hmm. That's because true. wide tends to lend itself more to capturing specific action more than say like the expression on a face. I like that. Sure. I really you like also that, get the yeah. environment in there. Yeah, like, you, where you is this person? Exactly. And yeah. so when I think of some of my favorite wide street photos, um, which maybe we should talk about in a little bit, I want to bring mm -hmm. up Vivian Meyer. Who, Absolutely. Who yeah. I Probably emulate. the most famous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but her wider stuff often really just captures the mood of a moment. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the person as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no, I like yeah. the distinction though of like the wider, the wider the lenses, you will get more of that scene. So it definitely is more about capturing a moment. But then the tighter ones, shallower depth of field. Unless you're shooting, you know, unless you're intentionally not, which oftentimes street photography isn't that shallow. Yeah, not really at all. Um, partly because about of speed, because we should talk about that too. But. Um, but yeah, you, you focus more on the person. It's a bit, it's closer in on them. And so the, the tighter frames tend to be more about capturing who that person is, the expressions, right. what they're doing, all of that. Yeah. But go ahead. Were you oh, I was say? just going to say the, the technique behind it is something that is, I think, very different than a, I, what I would kind of call like popular photography today, which is grab a full frame DSLR, mirrorless. You throw a really, really shallow depth of field lens on an 85 1.4 or something, mm -hmm. and you just shoot wide open all the time. Yeah. And street photography kind of challenges that to to the nth degree. Yeah. It is traditionally very contrasty. Typically, street photographers would shoot black and white 400 or whatever. Triax is like the street photography film yeah. from the class, from my, my knowledge. And they'd push it to 800 or 1600, and they'd they zone focus. So you're not even focusing. You're literally, oh, there's a moment, bring it up. You already know what your frame is. Boom, take yeah. a picture. Yeah. And then the Leica goes right along with that as, mm -hmm. as yeah, true to tr street photography as Triax itself. It's like sure. that, that kind of antithesis of shallow depth of field and bokeh and, you know, again, modern photography. Yeah. And I know a number of times I have seen a frame and especially like if the person, you don't want them to know you're going to take the picture. Um, you sort of estimate the focus, mm -hmm. pull mm -hmm. it up, see if it's right, snap, put it down. Exactly. Which it's a bit of an adrenaline rush, mm -hmm. yeah. Honestly, and then you're you're trying to like replay the image you just saw, saw through the viewfinder in your mind to like focus on it, see if you you got the focus. Yeah, right. it's like did I nail and that? You, you yeah. don't know till you develop it. Yeah, which uh, is another thing. I I don't want to keep bringing up other cameras, <laughs> but like the the uh, Nikonos V is entirely zone focused. Yeah, there is it, you have a viewfinder, but you don't have it's not a rangefinder, it's not mm -hmm. an SLR. And so uh, the entire weekend when we were at the beach, I had to be zone focusing the whole time. And it, it also, it's funny too, because I feel like it helps you in COVID times because you know, 
when someone's six feet from you. <laughs> so you're sitting there and you're like, no, you're five and a half. No, okay, you like, push it a little bit more. Son, move away from your dad. <laughs> you're too close. Yeah. No, it's that that is another thing entirely. People who have never pulled focus or have never focused by yeah with a, a camera like that only used autofocus. I feel like you don't really know when six feet is. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> so, or um, or when you're going to hit infinite focus, you yeah. certainly develop like a yep. That's definitely infinite. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, exactly. So, actually, one more thing, like on the wide versus tight dichotomy, is. Uh, when you're trying to cap, I was saying like uh, tighter, you're going to capture the person. But if you want to capture the person candidly, tighter is also good too. Because like I'm all for the ballsy approach. Like you just pull out a, cam- a camera and you're taking a picture of them and they know it. But as soon as like they know a camera has been introduced, it's the moments the scene, in some way ruined. Mm. Well, it's, it's, it's changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've changed the moment. So like if you're shooting just a bit longer you can capture something without your camera really having influenced that, yeah. mm-hmm. which is neat to me. Like the father yeah. on the bike, he wouldn't have been looking at his daughter if he knew there was a camera around. He would right. have been thinking something else. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. I do want to talk a little bit about speed and then also being discreet. And like when, like, are you discreet? Right. Are, are you not? Um, first, I just want to send everyone over to our Instagram page, our Facebook. Um, you know, we're, our Instagram in particular, we try to post some photos there that we're taking. Um, all of them that I know of have been 35 mil medium format. Uh, we might even have some large format in there. I can't remember. Um, but we're posting all our photos there. So follow us there. Also, check us out. You're obviously listening to the podcast, but be sure to like and subscribe. Um, we have our uh, we have we're on iHeartRadio. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on all the major podcast places, Spotify. So just search for that vintage lens, and you'll find it there. Also. Be sure to check out our blog. We have, um, it's not a huge blog, but we try to have some in-depth articles about different cameras and techniques and uh, things that we're passionate about, and, and that's always growing. So um, be sure to check that out as well. So at, at thatvintagelens.com. So now, speed and uh, whether you are uh, discreet or not. Yeah, I think the discreetness goes along with some of the, like I mentioned earlier, some of the fear about street photography. I think... Street photography is often one of those photo assignments you get when you're in photography school. <laughs> and yes, you're, the you're, photography school. Photography school. <laughs> and your teacher says, you know, these are some of the greatest photographers of all time. And there's street photography and war photography and portraiture and all this other stuff. And you might want to say, mm, I'm going to go try that. And the scary factor is, well, if I can't be discreet, like, how do I. I feel like I'm invading someone's privacy mm-hmm. or I feel like I'm step, I don't want to ruin, uh, I just feel like this is kind of uncomfortable for me. Yeah. And that's a real, that's a real barrier that you kind of have to get through in, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And because um, whether you're shooting with an 85 or you're shooting with a 15, people are going to notice at some point. Yeah. Um, it may not be every photograph, but someone's going to notice um, most people, I would say, at some point are probably going to notice, maybe less so with the 85, definitely with the 15. And yeah. <laughs> there's, there are some shots you just can't get unless you sort of ask. That's true. And, and present yourself. Yeah. So. And there's something to be said about kind of learning to approach people and, and chat them up a little bit and ask them if you can take their por- uh, their portrait on the mm-hmm. street. Yeah. Um, Which I've seen you do a lot. You typically ask. I don't. I don't typically see you... You're, you don't tend to take the route of 
take the picture and ask forgiveness yeah. later. Well, most of the time it's, hey, I'm going to chat this person up, talk to them a little yeah. bit. See, you know, hey, do you mind if I take your picture? I think for me, it's more it's more interesting to actually have a conversation with someone than mm-hmm. to actually get a usable photograph at the end of the day. If I if I ruin the role, it's on my mind right now because I just did it. Um, <laughs> if I ruin a role of black and white or whatever, and I'm out on the street for a day and just the whole role is ruined and I'm like, oh, I got so many good portraits. I ask people for the that's going to really stink. But if I had like genuine conversations with people mm-hmm. and I grew a little bit in my confidence to ask people for portraits, it's not all lost. Like that is worth it in its own right. Just to be able to say like, you know what? I learned something about Catherine that I met on the street the other day. And like she chatted me up about like what she was up to and all that. Like that's, that's important to me. And like, that's almost the whole reason of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's also like you said earlier, John Henry, the thrill of the chase a little bit when you just randomly ask someone for a portrait, because I think typically when you're on the street in a city or, or elsewhere and someone approaches you it's usually someone trying to like sell you something or trying to sell, like hand you their DVD of, or, you know, whatever their like mixtape or something. And oh, you're like, yeah. I just don't want to just don't hand me things. Yeah. Don't, don't sell me something. And the, the, the idea of going up and just having a pleasant conversation with someone and saying, Hey, I'm doing a photo project. Would you mind if I took a picture? Mm-hmm. And usually it, what I would do is, enforce with them that i'm using an old film camera yeah and which is somehow less uh i don't it's less less scary it's it's less invasive because whether or not you have the same end result with both a digital and a film camera sure Mm -hmm. most of us get our our film film scanned right whether or not the end result is a digital file film feels different yeah, and it's it more approachable. Does. Well, it also it identifies you as a genuine hobbyist and enthusiast because it's sort of like, yes, I'm just creeping on random people with yeah. my mother's 1970 40 millimeter meter Canon camera. That's got, my mother's that's, 1940 that's, that's not, millimeter. That's not what creepers use when they want <laughs> to take. It's creep- true. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, it, it, so, it, it totally like cuts that layer of kind of creepiness down a little. Yeah, bit. yeah, for sure. So I usually like start with that, you know, because you want to let people know that you're not trying to sell them something and usually you know the energy is important and jamie windsor talks about this in a great great video about approaching strangers and um that's that's just something that i did to make sure that i could prove to myself that i was capable of that i'm i for years and years and years i was horribly introverted to the point where i would break out in hives if i was in like a a, a large social group Mm-hmm. And so for me, something that was so deeply important was like challenging myself in ways that I felt I could become the person that I wanted to be, that I felt I ought to be. And as a photographer, so much of that was this beautiful work that I was seeing in galleries and whatnot. And I'm like, man, I could never take that picture because I just, I can't, I can never ask that person for a picture, never. And so working on that slowly and slowly and slowly to the point where now I feel like I could almost ask anybody, like, does it still nerve-wracking? Yeah, totally. I mean, I've seen people turn you down, Uh, but I would also say the majority of people have said yes. Definitely the majority. Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, this is sort of broader life advice, but it definitely applies. An old Jesuit telling me once, if you want to make friends with someone, don't do them a favor. Ask them to do you a small favor. Yeah. Because people like that. Yeah, you know they they like to feel good, like they help somebody out if it wasn't too much trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I mean, it's just 
generally flattering to think that somebody wants an image of you. That's true. Right. Mm-hmm. But the question um, is, is that is that advice actually good? Ad- I mean, it came from a Jesuit. Oh, my so. God. People were ribbing on Jesuits <laughs> earlier today. This was a good one. <laughs> yeah, so so I don't know. So it's a double-edged sword. For for me, it was a lot of that was I wanted to grow. I mm-hmm. wanted, there was, I felt like there was something in a certain sense wrong with me that I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't approach people and ask them for a portrait or, or whatever. And so I needed to work on that. But the other side of that is, are you actually kind of, disturbing the peace or, or or disturbing someone's privacy or bothering them like that's also a legitimate concern yes if i'm going up to and, and i asked you for a picture and you're on your way to work you're like don't don't talk to me like just get out of my way mm-hmm. whatever like that's that's legit yeah it definitely is and i think but i do think a lot of times while that is legitimate that it is bothering someone whether the person is on their way to work whether they are you know just lounging at the park something that is that that overcomes that and i think is more powerful is that feeling of i matter Mm -hmm. and that is something that street photography has that is i think one of the primary reasons in my mind that people say yes to street photography in this day and age where you have no clue where the photo is going the thing is someone just asked if you if they if you could be their model essentially yeah someone just asked if if they could capture you that out of all the things that they could capture in this world in this location you are the most important thing and that's why they asked you yeah, yeah i mean you're, it's saying you are worth sharing like yeah. yeah it's it would be worthwhile for the world for more people to see you mm-hmm. and it, yeah i will just mention like sometimes that goes the other way there's a lot of famous street photography where you know, maybe there's someone who, who, you know, for all intents and purposes is having a really bad day and mm-hmm. they have like their hair is messy and they smeared their makeup or whatever. And so there's free photography of them because they kind of look off yeah. or they look out of place or they stand out in some way. Mm-hmm. And that can almost feel insulting. Yeah. Cause if you're that person, if you kind of put yourself in their shoes and you say like, well, this is just, I don't feel pretty today or I, I don't feel like I really deserve to be photographed today that can feel like, are you photographing me because you're going to make fun of me? Like, yeah. are, are you trying to like, I want to show the world what a pathetic wreck looks like. Well, yeah. honestly, there is some of that out there. Yeah, yeah. there definitely there is. Well, so let's talk a little bit about ethics of this stuff then. So, yeah, because while there are some fantastic street photographers, lots of great street photographers, and, and I think the vast majority of them are looking to create art and looking to uplift people in some way and show a slice of life or a moment or, you know, who this person is, there are definitely those people who are just, you know, I don't know, it rubs you the wrong way or, or you hear about their their methods and it just, it's like, oh, I don't know about that. Like there was yeah. even recently, wasn't it Fuji that had to pull an ad back when they released one of their, was it Fuji or was it someone else? I don't know this. They, they pulled an ad back because they they featured certain street photographers as they were releasing this new camera and saying, hey, sure. you know, they, this camera is great for street photography but the person and i can't remember his name he's a famous street photography in um uh, china japan oh some i think it's japan um but his method was to basically walk along the street pretend that he wasn't about to take a picture and he had like a flash and everything oh yeah and would just be like and shoot the picture And he was he was like within a couple feet of your face, and it was yeah. very much like it, seems it like was photographic assault. Yeah, and there's it, a lot it, of that though, and, and a lot of famous very, it, it not only felt rude, but the way that he went about it seemed a little bit creepy too. Like he would 
he would physically block your path yeah in order to get you to get the photo of you so yeah. you'd be walking and he'd stand there and if you tried to move away from him he would move in front of you in order to get the photo and so they ended up taking that they removed him from list the list of of yeah. um, approved street photographies because there was a big outcry there and i think yeah that, Something like that is what some people might see and, and say, oh, those are what street photographers do. That's, yeah, that's wrong. Like think, street photographers I mean, are very rude. His, mm-hmm. his results might sometimes be good, but I don't I think... I didn't even think they were. I suspect I would often say they're not. Most perhaps, people don't look great if you just shove a flash in their face all of a sudden. Yeah. I would challenge that and say perhaps important to know, like as an experiment. Sure. I don't know that I would make my life's work around just doing that as a technique but well, i've seen a couple people do it and what it, i there's find a is whole that, subgenre oh that. yeah there's well, a lot of that most of the ones that i see are people's um, some sometimes borderline horrified faces yeah because it's it's usually like a slower shutter speed with a flash so it captures it freezes that moment it freezes that moment has some trails in it that's what i see a lot of yeah and it's usually this 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 reaction of being taken aback and so all you're yeah. really capturing you're not capturing that person you're not really you're you, i suppose you're capturing a moment but that moment is of that of your subject being you know disturbed disturbed yeah the only thing i'll say i don't necessarily condone this kind of photography the only thing i'll say is that that is a very genuine reaction that is something that's almost like instinctive. Like mm-hmm. y- you can't fake the expression you make when you're like, what the hell are you doing right now? Yeah, like that yeah. is so real that maybe that like gritty reality kind of I is what they're going for. And that, I, some... again, I don't, I'm not going to say like go after this kind of thing, but Sounds I know like that you're it's lifting that up. Dan, there no. is a lot of genuine street photography that is done that way. I so think I think something I won't can be said for the result that. in that, well, it's neat that you got this, but we're talking about like the ethics of how sure. you got it. Yeah, that's and that's borderline. Is it is it the worst thing you could possibly do? Probably not. No. But <laughs> in street photography, it, it like just in, doesn't in, seem like a very nice way to conduct yeah. yourself in society. And especially if you're talking ethics, that is one of those things where whether or not that is genuinely legal is is not necessarily the, the you know the actual issue there because. More than likely, it is legal. If you're taking a picture of someone on the street, you know they are kind of giving yep. you their ability to take their picture. You know, I had a lot of great courses in college. The best one that I ever had, best professor that I ever had, was this this gentleman named Dom Christie, and I, I'm still I still connect with him every now and then. Um, but he led he had our, our ethics course in in um cinematography and also you had an ethics of cinematography yeah well so it's it's, it was based more on so like you're filming on the street uh you know that's incredible yeah so there was there was ethics and there was also um uh, yeah so there he had a i had a couple of his courses but um yeah that's i always fall back to some of that stuff but yeah if you if you have no reasonable expectation of privacy which most public places are like that private property is slightly different but you could still argue in in a lot of cases that you know if you're on i don't know church property or something like that it's technically like a private it's private property in some respect it's not public land it's not a street or a sidewalk but you also don't typically have a reasonable expectation of expectation of privacy there there are things that are are you know nice to ask people and courteous and all of that, but there are lots of spaces where it's like you can't expect to not have other other people see you. There's also street photography plays into this a little bit too because um, it changes a lot based on whether you would be able to see it with your naked eye or not. 
So if you're shooting with a 400 millimeter lens, so like if I'm standing on the sidewalk and shooting up toward a building and there's something that with say a 35 millimeter lens that I can see inside the window, that's okay because I can see it from standing on a public place and, and that person needs to realize that. Now, if I'm standing on the public place and I've got a 400 or an 800 millimeter lens and I'm, you know, shooting on the private property from there, that's different. Yeah. So there's there's some of those in terms of law that are interesting, yeah. but uh, but yeah, it, it, at the end of the day, it is it is somewhat to your own discretion as to what is ethical. It's not to your own discretion what's legal, right? <laughs> but you know, you need to know what your laws are, and, and it, it changes depending on the place, and obviously if it's private or public property. But but yeah, it is kind of you know. A little bit up to your own judgment and some of those photographers who choose to essentially like steal people's privacy and steal people's moments and kind of disturb them or whatever that is up to their you know that's that's up to you but um yeah that that's something that uh it's it's kind of a head scratcher in a lot of ways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but and so the- when you're going out for street photography brandon john henry when you're going out what is in your bag what do you like oh i'm going out for street photography this is what i'm going to bring I typically take um, an eight by ten camera mm-hmm. with, um, mm-hmm. you know, something that's that's really a really tight lens because mm-hmm. I feel like that's the fast. No, I'm just joking. Um, I honestly tend to go for. I mean, I would say the Leica, but uh, that I don't take that quite as much. It, it's a fun camera to take out. Um, I've found in, for me, I haven't had it as long, but my new go-to has been the Canonette. Mm-hmm. It's quiet. It's small. It's unassuming. Um, it doesn't stand out that much, but it's still unique enough that it'll start a conversation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've definitely enjoyed doing some street photography on the Canonette. So I'll either take that or I'll take my Olympus or the Nikon with a 35 and 85. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've got a 90 for the Olympus. But yeah. And those are sort of my go-tos. And I'll just sort of switch back and forth between those where I'm very familiar with those two frames. And mm-hmm. so for like half a roll, I'll have the 85 on. Yeah. And then for half a roll, I'll have the 35. And I've sort of gotten used to the idea that like just shoot what you can with the lens that you've got on there. Absolutely. Yeah. Like if you love a frame and you're going to have to change lenses for it, then go ahead and make the change. And fortunately, like my traveling companions were often pretty patient with me while I do that. <laughs> but Probably because a lot part, of them are photographers. Are photographers. <laughs> <laughs> they get it. Uh, but for the most part, just say, eh, that would be better with the 35, but I've got my 85 on right yeah. now. I'm going to find a different frame. Well, I feel know? like the generalizations for equipment when it goes to street photography are that people tend to prefer range finders yes. to SLRs. SLRs for a couple of reasons. First of all, because you can bring your eye up and it'll show you a wider field of view than what you're actually shooting, depending on your lens. Mm-hmm. Um, 35, maybe not so much, but you know, if you're shooting a 50 or something like that, you can know yeah. when someone's going to walk into your frame. Uh, you can also hold it up to your eye and, and you, you can, like if you hold it up to your right eye, keep your left eye open, you yep. can see from both through both eyes and, and be able to have less disturbance of your view in yeah. that way. Plus they're, they're really, really quiet, not yep. silent, but quiet. I mean, I wouldn't say that most SLRs are, are like 
incredibly loud especially compared to like the standard new york street sure sure but there's certainly an element of like i could be four feet from a person getting a shot kind of over their shoulder with a with a, a rangefinder, and they might never know yeah. and there are times that i've been in the situations like that where i've just kind of brought my camera up and and taken taken a photo and it's been so it's so quiet no one even bats yeah on. it's interesting how sometimes the act the act of bringing a camera up to your eye doesn't distract people quite as much as the sound of the picture being taken. Mm-hmm. I think we've been programmed to feel like that's the dis- that's the moment that kind of steals our privacy. Yeah, I think a lot of times it comes to like the iPhone, which has that shutter sound Shh. of like it's like a fake, which is a sound. Canon camera apparently. It, yeah, it's I, a I, Canon I, camera. It's a Canon uh, SLR sound. Okay. Yeah, apparently I don't know if it's like a, an AE one or what the deal is. Okay, but, huh? but someone did a, a noise an- analysis yeah. of it at some point. I mean, I so I, the only rangefinder that I own is my Fuji, which mm-hmm. is digital and it's not vintage. It does not have a vintage lens, but anyway, get out. <laughs> it, it it is probably my favorite street photography camera. It's kind of like a Leica mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. And so Mark and talked about that too. How, yeah, like how they're they're basically they may not be as good in some ways, but in a lot of like they capture. Yeah, we had a whole conversation about this. Watch that. Listen to the episode. <laughs> Seriously, it's a it's a good episode. It's probably one of our best. Yeah, yeah. and it just uh, the the. The silent shutter on the uh, the Fuji is breathtaking to me. Mm-hmm. Or unnerving if you're having your picture taken. Or unnerving. Yeah, well, a lot of times I'm taking pictures of my friends. A lot of times it's you guys where it's like, all right, I'm going to take this shot. And, and then you just keep standing 10. there. And it's like, did you take it? Like, oh, yeah, I'm done. I'm moving on to the next frame. But you never know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like when that whole sound of like the, the shutter releasing and the mirror flapping up is gone it really comes like it, it takes away your sense of uh am i stealing a moment and it mm-hmm. keeps coming back up but like that's that's the stressor for me is like are, am i gonna make people think that i'm essentially taking something from mm-hmm. them yeah i will say so and most people would say oh well yeah you know because of those things uh range finders are the should be the de facto yeah i need street, to buy a Leica. yeah i need to buy a rangefinder. now i will give you something one reason um and it can be a big one to shoot slrs instead and that would be waist level viewfinders on the f3 okay and on other nikons in particular that you can remove the top prism you can get waist level viewfinders on them that's a very good point and while they are not as silent as a leica you can perfect your frame more if you're range focusing and all of that, because yeah. you're going to lose a little bit of your ability to actually get super accurate focus, but you could you could have your camera at your waist, hence waist level viewfinder, and snap a photo like that. That is true, and yeah. I've I've tried that before specifically on the F3, mm-hmm. and the fact is maybe if this was 1932, people would be suspicious if you have a camera at your waist. But these days, if you're looking down at your camera at waist level, nobody's going to have any idea you're lining up a picture. It's completely yeah. true. Yeah, Cody shoots a lot with his Yashica mat, which is a TLR. And he shoots a lot of street photography. Or he did when he lived in Chicago. Yeah. And and yeah, man, shooting with him, it was wild. I would go up with, with my Mamiya or, or whatever, my Fuji, and people obviously after a second they make eye contact with you and he could go an entire day and no one even realizes he's taking a picture yeah it's a bizarre it's a bizarre thing i don't know it's It's like where your eyes are pointing is where people kind of 
get your if you make eye can't like real focusing eye contact with someone on the street mm-hmm. it it's, kind of like catches it's making them. me uncomfortable now like, yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. but when you're looking down at something it's like oh i'm fiddling Especially with my settings or whatever so programmed to see people looking down at their phones yeah like, if somebody is looking down it. at some sort of electronic device we assume they're in their own world yeah yeah, their focus is elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah, if I mean, focus is on them. Even if you, I, I, I would venture to say that if you are standing in one spot and you look at two photographers, one has the camera up to their eye and one has the camera at waist level, you could know equally that both of those people are taking a photo of you, and you would have less of an issue with the person who had the waist level. I think. Like if I if I you should do an experiment both, before you venture. Yes. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> but like as I'm no, sitting there thinking about it. There's something about having something in place of someone's eyes that mm-hmm, like in, mm-hmm, in that's mm-hmm. covering their eyes where you mm-hmm. you wonder what are they looking at? Are what are they seeing? The psychology now. I, well, well, I know it is but a lot of psychology. Yeah. Is, yeah. But it's there's just something different about it. Like if I bring something up right here and I'm looking through that, that's different than me looking down here. Like purposefully blocking your face, which sometimes like you can't yeah. read the emotions quite as well. It's the same sort of thing as and, and I'm getting way into the weeds here, but like there are look at look at our past presidents. You don't find presidents with facial hair because presidents with people who are running for president with facial hair, psychologists have determined that people find them to be uh they, they, it feels psychologically like they're hiding something. This is an actual thing. No, I know it's a thing, but my supervisor and my boss both have facial hair. So no, I know that. What are they hiding? <laughs> but don't know. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you don't find people running for high office with, with a lot of facial hair. Typically, there yeah, are exceptions saying, there. Yeah, no. And so I think it's a similar sort of thing. Is like when you're covering your face, you're hiding something. You're looking behind. I mean, it's a, it's... Granted, large format is a different beast altogether because it's freaking cool. And so I think <laughs> the, the general populace, if you saw someone taking a street photographer, a street photography image with an 8x10, your reaction isn't going to be, oh, that creeper, they're hiding behind a curtain or something. It's going to be, dude, that's freaking rad. My, my response yeah. would, would be, I got to I, I gotta get this guy's number. I need yeah. to chat him up. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that is really special about street photography um, that I think a lot of it for me and a lot of things that I've been talking about is like, uh, how uh, I don't feel unnerving, uh, anxiety inducing in a lot of ways and sometimes scary and sometimes it takes people's privacy. The thing that I think for me redeems it fully on its own is you basically get free portrait sessions with people if you have the guts to ask for it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's something that just doesn't happen anywhere else. If you wanted to say, oh, I, I have this model friend and I want to take a picture of them in my studio or whatever. I want to practice my technique when lighting or, or what, whatever. You would have to make that very intentional. You couldn't mm-hmm. just stumble upon a portrait session. But in street photography, you can constantly. Yeah. And if you have the guts to ask for it, you can essentially practice your photography in your portraiture and how you approach a model and how you communicate with a model and how to get the right gestures and the right expressions and everything you can practice that without any ever paying anyone anything well and which is really special and it's also more genuine i feel like we we are very used to as cinematographers having to direct people mm-hmm. and say hey do this do that Let's let's try this, and in and the end result that we're trying to get at is do this thing in a way that seems natural, so yeah. we can capture it. Yeah, 
when it comes down to it, that's we don't have to do any directing for street photography. Typically, you're not sitting there telling someone how to pose or telling some. I mean, you might do. I a did little that bit. today a little you bit, a little, a little bit. bit, but it's only a little bit. You yeah. know, it's it's maybe like, hey, I love what you were doing right there. Can you just look back out there again the way that yeah. you were? It's not like, okay, can you come over here? Let's stand this way. Look up this direction. Maybe hold your hand like this. It's yeah, not yeah, as yeah. they're not actors, so whatever it is has to be simple. It exactly. will probably still be natural because it's not like they're going to be overthinking it. Yeah. yeah, you know. So that's something that I think is is unique. You either, yeah, you know, people spend not just from a monetary side of things, but also from from just an effort perspective. You know, people spend so much time and energy trying to get genuine actions from people to True. capture on camera, and street photography gives you the opportunity to do that with minimal minimal effort. Some more miscomfort, maybe. Sure. Discomfort. Yeah, but yes. people, I. I've definitely found the people on the whole are pretty open to it. Yeah. Uh, uh, this wasn't actually for any photography related stuff, but a couple of months ago in the midst of the COVID stuff, I made a video about Chicago and the people in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so I asked probably just approached two dozen people or more on the street asking to take a, a motion shot of them with a uh, black magic. Basically street cinematography. Yeah, street cinematography. And maybe two people declined everybody else very open to it you know you take about a minute of their time uh and overall just positive experiences you know you sort of tell them what you're doing what the project is most of them are sort of interested mm-hmm. yeah. you know they're they're happy to be a part of it people i don't know they want to help they want to be a part of things yeah so it's good to just get out there and not be afraid to ask yeah you know? I I think for for me as well, in addition to being able to essentially have free practice on portrait photography with people, um, being able to kind of start to learn what kind of expressions and faces that I want to kind of get in the studio, I also have the same exact thing with lighting. If there's this light coming down, you know, 3.30 p.m. in the winter and there's like this really moody scene going on on the street, I'm going to study that frame and I'm going to say, I want to recreate this exact lighting in the studio and I can go do that. But I would never have stumbled across that in my experimentation with placing lights and strobes and stuff in the studio. So getting those natural moments, you essentially, like I was saying with the portrait, uh, with, with, with you know, posing models and stuff, you, you get this free practice where the lighting just kind of snaps and you're there and you're like, I got to go recreate that somewhere else because that looks gorgeous. It's just all these little things that come together organically that you want to go recreate. Well, and so piggybacking off of that, I... No, someone's sneezing outside. Piggybacking off of that, I'm going to make a statement and I'm going to defend it. Oh, gosh. Oh. I would, I would venture to say that street photography is the peak of film photography. And here's why I'm going to say uh, that. Okay. Not for everyone. But for a subset of people who shoot film photography for a particular reason. So we've talked to... No, but just wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So we've talked about in previous episodes the reasons why people shoot shoot film photography. Okay. One of those reasons is because film photography is... uh, Each image is, is... kind of uh, what, how did we say before it's it a matters risk. more it matters more you're not taking 30 40 50 sure. pictures of one thing you're varying it because you don't have that much film plus film is expensive etc cetera, etc cetera. i would say the reason i made that statement is because street photography is even more of a fleeting moment 
yeah. then just taking one. So not only are you taking fewer images of something, but you are also further developing that by putting yourself in an environment where that image that you're trying to capture isn't paused. It's not going to recreate it That's for you. Very, it's a and very so, good point. I'm sure we all have in our mind frames that we miss. Yeah. Right? I'm thinking I'm thinking of a mother and daughter walking across the street on the outskirts of Beijing yeah. with no cars in the way and this amazing line of lampposts going down behind them. Why didn't you get it? I can't remember what if I fumbled for my camera or what, but like that frame is in my head and I did not get it. Yeah. And so that's the thing. <laughs> you know, it, it so when you do get it, it's that, that much more precious. Yeah. So street photography, I mean, certainly it's different if you're just walking along, along clicking and clicking, but if if the primary reason or one of the primary reasons that you're going into film is because of how precious each image is, mm. street photography images are even more so because you're not in a studio. You're not taking, you don't have the ability to just relight that and do it again. Yeah. It's that person may not be there ever, ever again. And even actually, if you approach them, you're still dealing with a very limited time window, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. You've got probably 60 to 90 seconds mm -hmm. to get to get your image because it's not a model who you can be like ah let's wait for the light to be right or let me just think about this for five minutes yeah <laughs> yeah you know yeah yeah it's a really good point i think i i think you're you're really nailing it with the uh the idea that these moments are happening all over the all over the world all the time constantly and just capturing a little piece a little slice of that humanity in that space is is precious on its own and when mm -hmm. you combine it with the the you know the more limited nature of film and how organic it is and and all that kind of thing, it really does add up to something very special when you get the moment right yeah it really does do we want to talk about uh favorite street photographers i know that was mentioned earlier um i want to i want to say i want to mention a quote it's been something that i've been thinking about for years ever since i heard it and I don't remember when I first heard it or I don't remember if, if I misquoted it from who it was or whatever, but um, it's something that really stuck with me. And it's something along the lines of, you know, when you don't, when you stop thinking about what people think of you. I think it's, you wouldn't worry what people thought of you. If I'll just read it. I'll just read it. Okay. <laughs> Um, it's from David Foster Wallace. I had to look it up because I, I thought it was maybe an Henri Cartier-Bresson quote, but turns out it's not. It is... I'm going to have to cut out all this dead space. Just think about that. All this sorry, space. sorry, sorry. In the meantime, I'll just tell you, you know, the sec this beer that I'm on is is lovely. It's Dos I am, I, am out, I am out of alcohol. Oh. Um, so the, the quote is, and I, this may be, uh, you know, not a direct quote, but something along the lines of you will become way less concerned with what other people think of you when you realize how seldom they do. And when I was trying to kind of come to terms with my inability to, uh, you know, have the confidence to ask people for portraits or, or, or in all, a big slew of things, that was the quote that got me through that. It was the quote that I kept, you know, kind of echoing through my brain and saying, you know what, me stopping and asking this guy or gal for a portrait is not the most important thing in their day. In, in reality, it's probably the smallest thing in their day that does not matter. And so I'm going to do it because it's going to, 
it's going to give me either a challenge or a failure or a success or some learning moment that I will take with me for the future. And that matters way more than my inability to ask them for a small favor. Yeah. And if, if you happen to annoy them for five seconds, big deal. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. the price of living in society. It's Sometimes true. You annoy might me for annoy hours you. at a day. So. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's one of my favorite ones. David Foster Wallace nailed it. Uh, I don't think he was talking about street photography there, but it works so well for street photography. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of a lot of my favorite street photographer. I mean, you talk about um, Vivian Meyer. Vivian Meyer. Mm-hmm. What an example of a street photographer who is really not in it for the money at all. Really, just doing it for the joy of the craft. And a shout out to the documentary Finding Vivian Meyer. I think years ago when I saw it, it was on Netflix. Maybe it still is, but highly recommend. Very, very, very good street mm-hmm. photography film. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite street photographers for a while has been Six Street Under on Instagram. Okay. Um, he's a very modern street photographer. He's currently working. He, he's based out of London. He shoots, he shot for the longest time with a set of Fujis. One of them was an X100 of some flavor. The other one was an X Pro of some flavor. And so mm-hmm. that was part of the reason that I got a Fuji. Mm-hmm. And he just makes his frame so clean and he shoots with uh, his B cam is usually the X100 with the 23 mil, which is equivalent to about a 35 mil on full frame if you're taking notes. And that is typically, you know, one of those standard street photography formats. So you're getting the, the scene, you're getting the deeper depth of field, you're getting all that. But his A cam is actually something, I forget what the Fuji actual focal length is. It's like a 56 1.2 or something. It's this really gorgeous lens. But on a crop sensor camera, that's a really tight frame for mm-hmm. street photography. That's closer to like your 85 John Henry. And he's a, he's, his ability to find the light and the color and the texture. A lot of times he's like shooting through some sort of like film. I don't know. There's a lot of that in, in London, like these the glass panes, or maybe there's like a kind of a fogged up piece of cellophane in front mm-hmm. of some shop. And he's like shooting through that and getting all the texture and the light. A lot of his frames I've studied for hours and hours and hours. He's um, he's a really great photographer working today. Can't recommend him enough. Sure. On Instagram. Nice. Need to check. What is it again? Six Street Under. Gotcha. I think his his real name is Craig Whitehead. Um, he's yeah. He's a London-based photographer. He a lot of the thing that uh, a lot of the things that inspire me about him too is that um, a lot of his work is shot with with just within the time frame of his lunch break. Mm-hmm. So for 30 minutes, maybe an hour a day, he goes out in London and takes pictures while he's taking a break from work. Yeah. And that is the time that he gets some of his most, you know, pivotal pivotal work in my mind. And that's just awesome. Like finding a few minutes a day and going out and taking some photographs is it's not a big commitment. I think we can all do that. You know, from 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 time to time, just take a 15 minutes, 30 an hour and just take a few pictures in the street. And so the fact that he does that is is uh, is pretty, pretty inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John Henry. Anyone in particular? Aside uh, from the ones you've already mentioned, but not not actually that are coming to mind right now. I uh, follow various uh, photography channels on Instagram, but I'm always not always super great at knowing the names of them. Does negative feedback do street photography, or is he more? He doesn't. Um, doesn't. Not not really. He's a great photographer, though. He 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 does a lot of more of like slice of life kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's one that I follow on Instagram called, um, it's a guy named Alan Schaller. I think that's how you pronounce his last name, but um, he's a co-founder of, of Street Photography International. And if you, like, he, he's got a lot of followers. Um, but I would honestly say, and not that he is my favorite street photographer, because I, I and not to diss his work, but I, I don't know that he has the most talent or the, um, the, the best f- street photography photos out there. Mm-hmm. However... I would venture to say that that within our modern world, he has had maybe more of an impact than um, not not to say that like people in the past haven't and all of that. But like in terms of photographers currently taking street photos, I think he has had some of the most impact. And that is Brandon Stanton from uh, Humans of New York. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I like I said, I don't know that I, I wouldn't consider his photos to be the strongest photos. But I think what's interesting about him in particular is that he he popularized street photography for kind of a new generation. Um, you know, it, it's yeah. I think these days people may not follow Humans of New York quite as much. I know there's still plenty of people who do, but for a while that was like that was a big thing, partly because of the photos, but also partly just because of the stories. And I think the stories honestly are that's one of the biggest things for me in photography. I. You know, in co- I, I might have mentioned it before, but in college, I would go to um, places like Gary, Indiana, Detroit, and photograph these old buildings, these these whether they're churches or manufacturing facilities, and all of that that would that that have fallen into disrepair. But the purpose of it wasn't to, um, you know, I had professors that would call it uh, what 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 would they call it? It was like um, blight porn or something yeah, like that. Like it, yeah, like grunge, just yeah. grunge for the sake of grunge. But the thing was. I would sit there, I would take those photographs, geotag all those places, go back and research the heck out of those. And I'd, I'd have these sheets that would talk about like the, the entire history of that location, when it was founded, when that facility was built, you know, when these major changes happened, why it fell into disrepair and all that, because that was the interesting thing to me. Mm. It, was, it was about finding out the history on that particular location, photographing this particular time period and history of that location, and kind of... I don't know, preserving that in some way yeah. for, for someone else. Um, I always found that really interesting. I, I'd never really, you know, you see photos of old buildings online. It's like, oh, great. It's, it's a great photo. Sure. But I want to know what it was and what the history behind it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a similar thing with Humans of New York is that you're not just just taking, you're not taking a photo of a person and that's it, you know, and that's fine if that's all you do. That's not what I, I'm not saying that's, that oh, you're not doing street photography, right? Unless you do it this way, but the, the stories behind fed into those images so much, yeah. you're, you're, you don't just look at a, an, an image of this person anymore and go, Oh, that's, that's a nice image or this person. And you have to imagine things you can read about them and, and you start to notice other features of the image. Right. Uh, and I think everyone's going to get different things, but like the expression on their faces, the the way that they're dressed, yeah. the, maybe you see the hardship in their eyes. And so I I liked his work because it, it kind of it took street photography in a bit of a different direction, yeah. I would say, and also brought about more of this idea. Like if you say, if you were to walk down the street and, and say, hey, I want to, you know, take a photo of you for whatever reason there were gonna, there are going to be people that say no no thank you but if mm-hmm. you I, I would venture to say that if you said hey i'm with humans of new york and i want to, to take your photo they're going to be like oh yeah no please Instant please do crap. yeah because they know that it's not about exploitation it's about caring about other people and, and learning their stories and knowing about them so 
that's yeah. that's my my small spiel about it yeah I, I think just to put one little insert into that about you know going into those old buildings and whatnot um there's something really cool about like finding um so much about photography is very meditative to me but this is one of those aspects where you just find a little bit of solace and joy in knowing that like you are witnessing this small slice of history of this building um that has just this vast history Mm -hmm. and you're just witnessing this small little history of it and it's never going to be the same tomorrow more brick may fall down yeah and yesterday the brick was still up but you were there for that one little slice, mm-hmm. and that like that that matters to you. Second. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, and I there have been I can't tell you how many situations I was in like that. There was an old piano factory in Muncie, Indiana that we took Bell Brothers Piano Factory. I've got hundreds of images of that place. <laughs> that was before I was in film, so that was that was digital. Yeah. But that place is burned down now. It was a hundred and nine year old factory when we took photos of it, and it's yeah. burned down now. The um, United Methodist Church in Gary, Indiana, like probably one of the most photographed um, abandoned churches in the country. That one, uh, you know, I took photos of that five years ago, six years ago, six years ago now, and or maybe even seven. Since then, the roof has collapsed more. Like there's, it's like you're saying, it's, it's not, not the, same. the same today yeah. as it was yesterday. That's the day important. Before. You know, if if you seek that kind of thing out, that's mm-hmm. really important. Yeah, and I think it's the same for people. Yeah, you know, you you're finding someone at a, a particular sliver in uh, in time. Yeah, they're either happy right now, they're either sad right now. They may not feel the same emotions again. But you're capturing something in that moment, especially if you're getting a story. Something it's a bit of a diversion from that. I will throw out Bill Cunningham as a street photographer. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He is uh, he has passed away since the uh, you know since the time that I started researching him in college. But he is one of those photographers that will live on in history because his work was almost entirely about fashion. But it was very candid in a lot of ways. And there's a brilliant, brilliant photo book about uh, Bill Cunningham's work. And if you can find it, go get it. Because it's really, really good. Um, He just used to walk around. I think he had an F3. I think he would just walk around. Or maybe he was an F6 or something. Isn't there a documentary on him? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe He'd walk around and take pictures of people during Fashion Week. And, and throughout the year, I believe, and just take pictures and like kind of document how fashion was changing. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those things where he's, he's reaching a little deeper than just, I'm just going to find moments and take pictures of them. He's like, I'm going to find the way that people are, are expressing themselves through their clothes and capture that, which I think is a very, very good way of kind of viewing that. It's like taking just that one little step deeper into that specific type of photography mm-hmm. which for me is sometimes the thing that gets me out to shoot if i'm gonna start saying oh i want to take pictures of stuff on the street that's almost too broad i don't even know where to start but if i say i want to take pictures of old cars on the street ooh, mm, yeah, old cars that. Ooh, i'm gonna go do that you know so so if that's something that you you want to go do it's like oh i want to take pictures of people who are wearing cool clothes you'll probably find that you're good at a certain thing and Mm -hmm. it'll probably be something you have some passion for some yeah and some you do sort of have to start with i'm just going to go out on the street and see what catches my eye but that idea of like be constantly looking around and like your mentality when you're in that street photography is so different the things you notice that you wouldn't have thought you noticed before Mm -hmm. but you'll start to see a pattern like what is the sort of thing that catches my eye and maybe you're really good at capturing that type of thing yeah you know for cunningham it was (laughs) 
ritzy fashionable people <laughs> in interesting postures but he did it amazingly yeah and so much of it yeah and mm. so much of it and uh, you know and so who knows what it might be for you but yeah get out there and you'll find it yeah yeah, yeah that's a really 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 good tip one of the last questions i would pose would be do you have to be in a big city to do street photography i don't think at all no I, no but I, if you're not really make sure you don't piss off people <laughs> you might run you into will them see every them day again. yeah well because we talked a little bit before we've mentioned before that there's um and i can't remember whose idea it was uh i know it was within this group but to to go to uh our hometowns or have someone else go to your hometown yeah and take photos of that location because they are going to see it very differently than you do because you grew up in that atmosphere and you're used to all of it and so um I think in the same way, some people could look at a small town or whatever and say, I don't know, I can't really do street photography here. There's not, what what am I going to capture, you know? It's so boring. It's so boring. I need to go to Chicago or New York or LA or something like that. And the reality is, you know, that's, you could say that about just about anything. Yeah. Um, You know. Yeah, I mean, I you can't can, I've good. been on streets in Chicago and you're like, oh, this is, this is just such a normal street. There's nothing to get yeah. here. Yeah. I wish I could go take pictures of mountains. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. And so... Find, find the frame with the camera you have, with the lens you have, where you are. Because yeah. there is a frame there. Yeah. You just have to find it. Yeah. And I think there's something, too, to be said. And this is a, kind of an adage that goes throughout uh, street photography and history is, like, are you capable of taking pictures outside of your own kind of experience? For street photography especially. If I'm going to go to L.A. and start taking pictures of, I don't even know, like street, street performers, am I really am I the one who should be doing that? Because I'm, I have no experience with LA street performers. I have never lived there and mm-hmm. I'm not a street performer, but if I was going to go take pictures in the Midwest of suburban homes and suburban life, that's me. Like that's where I was born and raised. So mm-hmm. I'm, I may be uniquely suited to go capture that. You're the most suburban guy. I know. Daniel. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> but on the flip side is if you go into, if you take a city boy and you throw a city boy into the suburbs, city boy. They, they might have this crazy, unique way of looking at the suburbs, mm-hmm. you know, like like it's this fresh thing that they want to capture and, and explore and show the uniqueness of it in a way that a suburban boy such as myself might totally overlook. Well, that's yeah. just normal life. So it goes both ways. And if you feel like you're stuck in, in you know, I live in the suburbs and I can't find good frames, I can't do street photography, or I live in a city and I, I can't find good frames there, um, there's something to be said about you know really digging your heels into where you're at and opening up that third eye and saying, where are the good it's frames? Sort of, it's sort of like with gear. Um, we talk a lot about gear. Get good with the gear you have. Yeah. yeah. You know, so and get get good where you are. Yeah. Because if you can't be good there, you're not suddenly going to become good going somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. Just because you pick up new equipment, the ne- the next camera and lens aren't going to make you a better photographer. Going to another place isn't going to give you, you know, uh, isn't going to make you a better photographer. Sure, you could make the argument that going to some new place, you might get some better photos. It's a new experience and all that. But like, you know, practice with what you have. Yeah. I mean, that's... It's free. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, free, it's free for one it's, thing. It's yeah. fast. And it's a great... It's a great way of practicing because you have to sit there and go what is interesting what is like you have to you have to kind of reevaluate everything there yeah but both new gear and new places strike 
new inspiration in a lot of ways. Yeah, they yeah. do. So it's uh, I'm good certainly with not against new gear. And then <laughs> expand. Yeah. We all know that yeah. you're not against new we'll gear. We'll find Brandon. out next time what new <laughs> gear Brandon has bought. Uh, yeah. No, honestly, I would honest I would venture to say and I'm I'm very curious what happens between now and the next episode, but I would venture to say that I will not have a new camera between now and the next episode. And the reason being that this one's been on my list for a while and has been like the next one on my list. Uh, but I don't have anything that's like, I have to get this for this reason. So it might be. We're going to go to the next episode and it's going to be like, oh, I bought a, I bought a camera. And we're like, Brandon, you said you weren't going to buy a new camera. I didn't buy a new camera. It's very old. It's from 1958, <laughs> and you're—that's just not going to go well. Yeah, let's just wait. Let's wait. Let's let's <laughs> let, let's uh, let's see how this next episode goes. All right. So, all right. All right. Anything else to say that's pertinent before we uh, hang go up out the phone? and take pictures on the street? Yeah. Um, it may not be the most I don't know attractive thing to do during COVID. If you're listening during during the craziness that's going on right now. But you know what? There's a lot going on right now. So go out and capture what's going on. It mm-hmm, may definitely. end up being very important in the future of America. Yeah. Could be. Use your 85 social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us again today. Um, we were, uh, we're we're always very happy to have a new episode coming out. I know it's not always the most frequent thing in the world, but we try to bring something that's that's kind of um, that's a quality episode and, and try to talk genuinely about all of this. So um, as always, we don't have sponsors. We just do this for fun. Um, we're a bunch of cinematographers who love shooting film photography and love having uh, the unique hobby that it is. Um, so be sure to check us out on our website, thatvintagelens.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.